know God, it becomes good news because there's not anybody left to judge you or any reason left to judge you. But we're going to just take leave from a minute, or we're going to go for a minute from this idea uh, of the reality. And the bad news is, is that all have sinned, and that sin did something to you or did something in you or caused something to, to happen. And what it caused is this, is that you were born an enemy of God. Which, again, seems like, like bad news. And this morning we're going to focus really uh, almost exclusively on, on good news. But, but to understand the goodness of the good news, we just need a minute on this, this, this bad news. You and I and everybody in this room, remember we said last week, you know, if we were doing that thing where we turn to people, you'd have to turn to the person you write and say, you're a sinner. And the person next to the other side say, you're a sinner. We all were born with, like, sin. We do bad stuff. Um, we continually do bad stuff. We think bad stuff. We act in, in bad ways. And people never really like to hear that. I know I don't like to hear that. But it's, it's a, a basic fact of, of reality. And most of us know this to be, to be true. Most of us understand it in the human sense, uh, most of us, uh, that, that we are not good. We like to tell people, other people, that we think we're pretty good, but we talked about how we do that in comparison to someone who's really bad so we can feel better about ourselves. But the idea of, of evil, if you, if you have a problem with understanding that people are bad and people are sinful, it's probably because you're like too far removed from junior high, right? But if you went into a junior high and spent a few days with what goes on in one of those buildings, you would understand that people are bad. Right? You, if you go into a school and you meet uh, a, a mean girl or a bully, you understand that, that people are, are bad. And it's easy for us to think of badness as an other thing. Like, they're bad. They're the mean girls. They're the, that's the bully. We don't like to deal with this reality that you and I and everybody sitting here is bad. But honestly, I think most of us know it. Right? I think most of us know that we do bad things, and we say bad things, and we think bad things. And you might not have, have uh, murdered somebody. You may not have, have uh, uh, punched somebody, but you've thought bad things about somebody. And simply that is wrong and, and sinful. The Bible says, says that, or describes sin in this way. It's anything that is counter or contrary to the will of God. You know, if you distill down and look at what the Bible says that sin is, it's anything that's different than the character of who God is, to act in a way contrary to what God wants. You were made, and I was made, for a relationship with God. But because we are descendants of our great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, who committed the first sin, we were born into it. We are genetically, we are, we are uh, irreparably connected to the sin of our, our, our forefathers. So that generation after generation of, of humankind is born with sin in us. And the result, then, of that sin is that we're born enemies of God. Now, the point of this message series the point and the idea is to help you have an identity and, and meaning caught up in, in something that will be life-changing and, and powerful to you. And so starting there does not seem like the best place to start. But it's where we must start nonetheless. Here's, here's the problem. The biggest problem you and I face, the biggest problem we will ever face is we do not like who we are. We want to be somebody else. We strive and we work to be something or somebody else. Because we have trouble being happy with who we are. 
The reason that happens is because sin is a reality, and you were born, and I was born, an enemy of God. And as enemies of God, we can't fulfill our purpose. We can't fulfill our meaning. We can't fulfill what we were made for. And so we spend all of our days toiling and working and trying, but we can just never find meaning and completeness. That was the bad news from from last week. Here's what the good news is this week. This week we want to talk about how you can be made right with God and how that happens. And so Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll read it again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The the topic or the concept I want to talk about this morning is this concept called justification. It has major, major ramifications for everything about you and I. Justification, if we were to put it in the simplest way, is justification is how God has made you and I right with him. It's the means by which you go from an enemy of God to a son or a daughter of God. It is the the means by which God's anger towards you becomes God's favor towards you. It's the means by which the punishment that you deserve from God becomes the blessings that you get from, from God. So justification simply is this concept, that God has made a way and has made it so that you can have friendship with him instead of being his, his enemy. Right? Because we said this, that humans are born uh, enemies of God. Even if you wanted to just outright deny that, the reality is, is that all of you know at some point in your life you've done things that would be displeasing to the holy God of the universe. That makes you an enemy of God. And because God is good and because God is just, that sin, that, that badness had to be dealt with. There had to be something that happened. The God of the universe then looked at your... Um, at your sinfulness, looked at the stuff that you had done, and he is the God of the universe who gets all of history, and he could have wiped us out, but rather than wiping us out, he provided a way for us to be made right with him. This is justification. It is the objective process by which a person who is an enemy of God becomes a son or a daughter of God. It is the thing that changes who we are and our status before, before God. So, well, the first thing I want to say to you is that your identity needs to be caught up not so much in the fact that you are, were born a sinner, but rather that if you are a child of God, if you are a Jesus follower or a Jesus person, if Jesus has saved you, then you are justified and you have been changed significantly Uh, or your status before God has been changed so significantly that God, instead of viewing you as an object for his punishment or wrath, views you as righteous. God has has declared you uh, righteous. So here's, here's, let me give you a a few examples of this, and then we'll talk about why it's it's really good news. Here's the, the, um, the imagery one might use is a courtroom, right? Let's say, for instance, that you had committed a crime, and you went to court to, to, um, for, for your, your judgment day, right? For the day when the, the jury would come forward and say whether you were guilty or, or not. In this case, you absolutely committed the crime. You absolutely did what you were accused of. 
you sit at that, that table waiting for the jury to come back and announce that you are indeed guilty. That is the, the most logical thing that would happen. And yet, in this case, the jury comes back and the jury stands up, or the jury foreman stands up and declares you acquitted. He acquits you of, of, of the crime. Now, you committed the crime, but you've been acquitted of it. That is the kind of the imagery that is going on here when it says that God has justified you. Here's the reality. You have committed many, many crimes against God. And yet when you were brought into the courtroom, if, you are a, if, if Jesus has rescued you, if you've met Jesus when you were brought into the courtroom, at, the point of, of, at that point, when you are put on trial for the sins that you have committed, when, when the, the prosecution presents all the things that you've done, you are certainly guilty of those. And yet this jury is, the, is not made up of a jury of your peers so much as it is made up of a jury of one, and that one on the jury is the living God. The living God listens and understands the charges against you, and when the moment comes for you to be declared guilty, rather than declaring you guilty, he has declared you innocent. He has acquitted you. That is the beginning picture of justification, but it's, it's deeper than that, because in this case, when you go into the courtroom, to be tried on the crime you have committed, the judge and the one who is going to hear your case is the one whom you have directly committed the crime against. He is the one who has been affected by your crime. He is the one who has been hurt by your crime. He is the victim of your crime, right? The sins or the bad stuff that you do affect this judge, God. And so you go into the courtroom. He hears the, the charges against you. And yet he still stands and says, I declare this person acquitted. I acquit him of all crimes. That's, that's the image. So justification is the, is, the, is the idea that though we have committed sins against God, and though we are deserving of, of, um, of punishment before God, though we have been enemies of God, God as the righteous judge looks down at us and declares that we are acquitted of the crimes against him. How does that happen, right? Here's how that, that happens. The reason that that can happen is what we talked about last week, that God in his, his goodness, knowing that we would be sinful, knowing the sins that we would commit, knowing that we would be his enemies, God, knowing that beforehand, decided even before the world was made, because he, he knew all that would be, and he knew that one day in the year 2016 that I would commit all kinds of sins because I'm sinful. I do. God knew that. And before time in history, God decided that he was going to rescue Dave Drake. And if you've been rescued by God, he decided that he was going to rescue you as well. How do I know this? Ephesians 1.4 says that God chose us in him the him being Jesus, before the foundation of the world. God, knowing in all of history that the day was going to come when he was going to have to deal with your sinfulness, he knew this, and he put into place a plan to wipe out your sinfulness, to wipe out the fact that you were an enemy of God. See, God is good, and he's just. We do not really want to live in a society that is unjust. Right? In, in a society where, where true evil is not punished is a bad society. In fact, we all understand this. This is why we have justice 
systems, and we can debate over whether our justice system or any justice system made of humans really works, but we understand that if a person commits a crime, that there should be a punishment for that because there is a victim of that crime. God, in the same way, looked through history and he understood that you and I, rebels to his cause, enemies of him, and sinners against him had made God himself the victim of our crimes. The only just thing then is that someone should have to pay the price of that crime. Someone should have to pay for what has been, been done. How much if, if someone commits a crime against me and I would want to demand justice for that crime, if someone hurt my family and I would want to demand justice for that crime, I'm another fallen human that has been made a victim. My family's been made a victim. How much more the God of the universe who is a victim of all of our crimes and sins, and he has no sin. So God is a just God, meaning that sin has to have punishment. Wrong has to have punishment. The crime has to have a punishment. But God, in his goodness, knowing this, God is a just God, but he is also a merciful God. He set into place a plan to make sure that these crimes or the, these sins would be punished. But his plan is what caused your justification. So instead of just doing what he could have done, he's God. He could go, ah, you messed up again. Boom. Knock us out, right? Zap us. Remove us. Instead of doing that, God decides that he himself uh, will send his son, Jesus Christ, to be God in the flesh, to walk this planet as God in the flesh, to walk this planet as fully human, to be tempted exactly like you and I are, with the kinds of things that you and I are tempted with, to be tempted with all kinds of all kinds of sin, all kinds of pressure, and yet Jesus walked the planet and did not sin. And yet, though he sinned not, he was put to death through the cruel institution of Roman crucifixion, nailed to a cross, died, and went into a grave. God, in his plan in history to bring about your justification, decided that he would send his son to come and to die. That death was what paid the price that needed to be paid to, to assuage or to meet the justice of God. In other words, you and I sinned. Somebody had to pay for that sin. It could have been us, but God in his goodness sent his son to die. How? In our place for us so that Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God so that God might give to us his righteousness. So that God, when he looked on us in the courtroom, understood that we had committed the crime... But in his holy, glorious patience and forbearance with us, rather than looking at the fact that we had committed the crime, he looked at the fact that Jesus had paid the price of the crime and acquitted us of the guilt and the shame of that crime. So that God, when he looks at you, does not see you in your broken sinfulness in the fact that you're an enemy of God. God looks at you and he sees that Jesus has died in your place and even so, the Bible says this, God made him who knew no sin, that was Jesus, to become sin for us. That's what Jesus did on the cross. So that we might become the righteousness of God. So that God looks at us and sees the goodness and the righteousness of Jesus. This is justification and this is good news. You have been declared right with 
God. God has said that person, Dave Drake, is no longer to be considered a sinful enemy of God, but rather Dave Drake is a friend of God. I acquit him of the crimes. My son has paid the price of the crimes, and Dave Drake is now a friend of God. And the same thing goes for anyone who has followed him. Justification, then, becomes a big deal. It is how you go from enemy of God to friend of God. Now, there are then some, some, um, there isn't some confusion about what that means and how that works. Sometimes people think, well, I want to be right with God, so I've got to be good. And they attempt to be good, and, and they work at being good and trying to be a better person in the hopes that God will notice their, their goodness, Right? The problem with that is that elsewhere in Scripture it teaches this, that all of our righteousness, all of our good acts, all the good things we try and do are like filthy rags before a holy God, right? Even the good stuff that you do, like sometimes we hear, we hear verses and we think that just our bad stuff is like filthy rags. No, even the good we try and do does not meet the standard of a holy God. So sometimes people think, well, I want to be right with God, I want to be friends with God, so I'll work harder and I'll try harder, Right? That's not justification, because you can't be justified in that way. You can work hard and you can try hard, but you will never meet the standard of a holy God. You will never receive acquittal in that way. To try and to receive the acquittal of the living God by working harder and trying harder is like showing up in court and trying to talk your way out of a crime that you have been caught red-handed doing. It will not work. You can't do it. You're not talking your way out of this. Closely related to that, then some other religious groups go, well, yes, God justifies us, but his justification is the means by which he allows us to work at becoming holy. So, yeah, we can't do it on our own, but God causes something in us so that if we work hard enough, eventually we, we can maybe be justified if at the end of the life God has, we have... We have um, we have taken hold, maybe, of what God has done in us and used God's power enough to become holy or work hard enough or receive his justification and obtain it on our own. And so it's closely related, but in this one, they're just saying, well, God, yes, Jesus died, but when Jesus died, he's going to allow you to become righteous or he's going to allow you to become justified if you take a hold of his power and you work hard enough at it. That is also not the, the power of the Christian gospel. God is not at any point, looking for your help in your salvation. He does not need it. He does not want it. And it is not possible. God is not looking to work with you. You are not in some sort of limited liability partnership with the God of the universe where you are, you are partners. I know we see those, those um, or we used to see license plates and bumper stickers. God is my co-pilot. I will tell you this. God is nobody's co-pilot. He is flying the whole plane, and you are lucky to be on it if you're on it, but he is not looking for your help, right? God is nobody's co-pilot. So we think sometimes that, no, if I work with God, if I cooperate with God, the problem is you can't cooperate with God. You do not have what it takes. And we go, well, if Jesus helped you, but that's not what Scripture teaches. It's not as beautiful as of a gospel, right? That good news, right? That good news says, 
if you, God, if you recognize that Jesus is real, and if you work hard enough, maybe at the end of your life you will be justified. The problem with that is I will live in fear all of my days because a lot of days I don't fear, feel or seem very justified. I don't feel or seem very right with God. I don't seem to do right things as much as I should do right things. And the problem is, essentially what we get is a form of Christianity that is equal to other world religions, wherein God puts our good acts and our bad acts on a scale, measures them. And if our good acts outweigh our bad acts, then we are declared justified at the end of this life. Then we are declared acquitted. That is not the gospel. That is not the good news of the Bible. It is, in fact, awful news because the reality is I live with me every day and my good acts are not going to outweigh my bad acts, I don't think. And yet, this is the good news. That God has not waited to the end of your life to see if you would be righteous to declare you so. God has not waited to declare your justification based on your behavior. God has declared you innocent. He has declared you acquitted. He has justified you. And that justification changes something fundamental in your position and in relation to his position. You stood before justification as an enemy of God. You stand after justification, which is an instantaneous, momentary, immediate declaration of the God. He is acquitted in that moment of acquittal when you are declared acquitted. Your position before God went from enemy to Friend, you did not have to earn it because you could not. You did not have to work for it because that would not work. You did not have to work harder, try harder, do anything more to receive it. God had no interest in your righteous acts. He's already declared them like filthy rags. Rather, he has declared you innocent, based not upon you, but upon the work of Jesus Christ, his son. He views you like he views his son. You, the Bible declares that you're co-heirs with his Son, all of these things become true in the declaration of God when he says, this person is acquitted. Your fundamental position before God changed. This, then, becomes very good news. Let me just um, follow that up to make clear what we are not talking about. We are not talking about you working to obtain your justification. Some other court proceedings, there are other court proceedings where you commit a crime. You go into the court and you cut a deal with the prosecutor. And the prosecutor will say this. If you can go into this diversionary program, go into the diversionary program, and if you can stay away from doing this right thing that, or this wrong thing, that wrong thing, and that wrong thing for this amount of time, you, if you make it through the diversionary program, then we will wipe clean your record and you will have no record. Right? And so then, a person who had done that, say they were on a, on a, on a drug charge, a first-time drug charge, they go in, diversionary program. If they can make it through the program, keeping all of the rules of the program, or at least not getting caught breaking the rules of the program, at the end of the program, then the way it works is that then the court will wipe out the record, and the record will be remembered no more. It seems like an okay program, and some people think that Christian justification is like a diversionary program. It seems okay, but here's, here's the problem. Is that if, while you're in the diversionary program, you should mess up again, the charges come back. Right? So if the charge is a drug charge, and you get caught what they call dropping dirty, you get called, caught dropping dirty, and they discover drugs in your system, you have failed the diversionary program, you go back to the starting, and you're going to be sentenced for your crime. Because diversionary programs are keeping a record of your right and wrong. 
Christianity is not a program. It is not that kind of legal system. This is a declaration of acquittal in open court, which says, we acquit you. Furthermore, we keep no record of your wrong. We're not waiting for you to mess up. And see, the problem I have with the diversionary program is it's not really good news. It depends too fully upon me to do things that I'm not really sure that I can do, to work harder, to measure up to a standard I know I can't keep, and all of those things. That's that's a diversionary program, and the reality is if God gives me a diversionary program and says, Dave, here's the deal. At the end of your life, if you don't do this, this, and this, we'll add it up. And as long as you haven't done those things, then we're going to declare you innocent. The reality is I'm not sure I'm declared innocent, and it doesn't do what I need in my life, which is to restore to me my image, my purpose, my meaning. However... That is not Christianity. It's not a diversionary program. Christianity is acquittal in open court saying that your record is no longer held against you. Your, your sins are now no longer held. You have no record. You have no, no written charges. You are declared acquitted. You walk out innocent with nothing held against you. This is why Jesus, when he deals with a... There's a, there's a woman that, that Jesus is dealing with, and, and everyone's trying to condemn the woman, and she's, she's got a lot of problems in her life. She's had a lot of, a lot of husbands, and, and Jesus says to, her, to the people who are picking up stones, and they're about to stone her, throw stones at her, by the way, if you don't get... Um, <laughs> sometimes ancient history has weird language, and stone them is a weird one. So I don't know if you knew what I was talking about, but to stone someone means to throw stones at them until they die. And they're about to throw stones at this woman because she's been caught in adultery. And Jesus says to them, he says, let he who is without sin throw the first stone. And they're like, oh, dang, man, snap. Jesus just got us, right? (laughs) We, we, We sin. And so they walk away. And then Jesus says to the woman, he says, has nobody condemned you? No, she says, says, neither do I condemn you. And then Jesus says this, go and sin no more. Right? That's justification, right? I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. See, the key to becoming who we want to be, the key to realizing who we are is to realize this, is that you were once a sinner and an enemy of God, but if you have met Jesus, you in his declaration because of his act at the cross, because of his work, can be declared innocent of all crimes against him. You can be declared not guilty. You can be acquitted and you can stand before God, not in the reality of all the stuff that you've done, but you get to stand before God in the reality of all the stuff that Jesus has done. So that the God of the universe, when he looks at Dave Drake, does not see the absolute messed up life of Dave Drake. He sees the perfect, sinless life of Jesus Christ and he accounts to Jesus Christ, he accounts Jesus Christ's righteousness to me. That is the beauty of justification and trust me, changes everything, right? Because i got to wake up with me in the morning. And if the system continues to depend on me, if my meaning continues to depend upon my ability to follow certain rules or to do certain things, I may do okay for a minute, but there are going to be times when I break down and don't do right. If those moments are allowed to overwhelm me, uh, they would. But that's not the Bible. The good news of the Bible is those Sins are not counted against me or held against me anymore. I live in a reality where I have been acquitted of all the sins I will commit. And here's the interesting thing. We think of acquittal in an American courtroom where they acquit us for the crimes we've committed up to that time. The acquittal of Jesus Christ is so much more powerful because he once for all in all of history has acquitted us of every sin we commit, not up to the point where we meet him, 
But up till the point where we face to face meet him. Right? So here's what I'm saying. Not up to the point where we where we where we invite him into our lives, not up to the point where we submit to his lordship, not up to the point where we become a Christian, not up to the point where we get saved, but up until the point where we stand face to face with him at the eschatological or the end of time of history, when Jesus has forgiven us and acquitted us of all the sins that we will ever commit from birth till our own death, till his return, until forever. Your sins are held against you no more. That's justification, right? And don't think that I'm not concerned that you live righteous and holy lives. I am. I just know that justification makes that possible. Realizing that the weight of your sin is not held against you makes it much easier to throw off the shackles of your sin. But we're going to talk about that in weeks to come. What I want you to catch this morning is simply this. Your position before the God of the universe, if you know Jesus, is as an acquitted person who has the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about him just for a minute. Jesus Christ, Son of God, second person of the Trinity, very God of very God, God in the flesh. He is all of those things. Jesus Christ never sinned. Jesus Christ died for the sins of all mankind. Jesus Christ is not only the greatest man to ever live, he is God in the flesh. And when God looks at you because of Jesus, he sees you the same as he sees Jesus. You want to start to fix your image of who you are? Start right there. Because here's the thing. I think a lot of us struggle with meaning. I think a lot of us struggle with image. A lot of us struggle with who are we? What are we? And we let those struggles get to us. And so we start to question it. And we start to talk to ourselves. And we start to say stuff to ourselves. And we start to dislike ourselves. And we start to feel awful about ourselves. If you know Jesus, I want you to hear this. If you know Jesus, you have been declared acquitted. acquitted. You have been given the righteousness of Jesus. You stand before the holy God, seeing as as righteous as the Son of the living God. That is how God sees you. If you choose to see yourself in any other way, I just want to ask you, who in the world are you to disagree with the living God? If God's view of you is as acquitted, if God's view of you as, is righteous, forgiven, restored, if God's view of you is how he views Jesus, who are you to view yourself as worthless. Who are you to view yourself as without meaning? Who are you to view yourself as as incomplete? Who in the world are you to disagree with the living God? Christian, it ought not be. God views you like he views the Son. And if God views you like that, who are you to disagree? This is the beauty of justification You've been made right with God. So you get to wake up and look in the mirror and go, yeah, I live in this tension with the reality that I woke up this morning and I'm still a sinner. But I'm also already acquitted and I'm declared righteous and God holds my sins against me nevermore. And so you, you walk through life and it's true, you're going to sin. But I think Jesus' words, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more, is a much more powerful, is a much more powerful than our own, our own things that we say to ourselves, which is, we're like, oh, I'm such an idiot, why do I do this? I'm so stupid. Why? We, we can try and we can try and 
self-talk and we can try and talk ourselves into things, guys, it'll never work, right? But it doesn't have to work because the work's already been done. It's completed. It is finished, right? You remember that Jesus said that on the cross. It is finished. The work has been done. Jesus is calling people. So here's what I, uh, I want to call you to. If you are already a Jesus follower, I want you to view yourself as an acquitted Jesus follower. I want you to start to view, your, view yourself in light of the righteousness that is, that is in you. I want you to view yourself as not condemned. I want you to view yourself as, as righteous. I want you to view yourself as chosen, loved, selected by the living God, transformed, completed by the blood of the living God, declared innocent, not guilty. I want you to look into the, the mirror in the morning and go, I am a child of the living God. I am, have been saved by Jesus, justified by Jesus. I am an heir to all the blessings of Jesus. I am an heir to the righteousness of Jesus. I want you to wake up and know that you have been rescued. And he has done amazing things because he has justified you and made you a friend of God. You do not have to wake up in the morning and hold you against you anymore. You get to wake up in the morning. Look in the mirror in everyday work. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, I want you to understand this. You were made for a purpose. Genesis 1.26 says that God created all humans in his own image. Male and female, he made, he made us in his image. Slightly after, after that, the first man and the first woman sinned. They fall away from, from the plan of God. They rebel against the plan of God. And when they do that, they become enemies of God. And yet, the problem with being an enemy of God is that you were created for a special purpose that was to bring glory to God. And so you never, the humans, though they try, and you can watch this in our society, they do it with everything, money, sex, fame, power, drugs, all kinds of things. Humans are looking all over to find meaning and purpose. I want you to understand this. If you don't know Jesus, you will never find meaning or purpose because you were created for it. You were made for it. And the only way to find what your soul longs for, the only way to find what your soul needs, the only way to find true meaning is to connect it back to what it was made for. And your soul was made for friendship with God. Your soul was made for intimacy with God. Your soul was made to bring about the glory of God. That's what it was made for. And so, if you're here and you have not yet met Jesus this morning, I want you to hear this. No matter what you're going through, no matter who you are, no matter who in your life told you something bad about you, no matter who in your life looked at you and said, you're not worth much, no matter if that person was, was your, your mom, if your dad, your step-parents, uh, a teacher, all of that kind of thing. Whoever told you who, that you're not worth much or you'll never amount to anything, I want you to hear this. None of those people were the living God of the universe. And the creator God of the universe says this to you. You are worth something. I made you in my image, and I made you for my purpose, and I made you for my glory. And so if you're here this morning and you do not yet know Jesus, I want you to hear this. You can know him, and when you do, your purpose is unlocked. Your meaning is unlocked. 
your struggle is not going to go away right away. I mean, I'm not, this is, it's not magic. This is, this, is, this is real life. But here's the reality. You can begin the road to, to matching up with how God already sees his children in Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you've not met Jesus, I want to tell you this. You can be justified this morning, declared right and innocent before the living God. And the living God of the universe, if anybody ever told you you're not worth anything, the living God of the universe sent his son to die on a cross, and the cross has declared all of those people liars. You are worth the blood of the living son of God. He died for you. And so if you're here this morning and you've not met yet met Jesus, I want you to understand, this is where meaning starts. This is where wholeness starts. This is where your identity starts to be healed. You can be justified, declared innocent before the living God. Right? That has all kinds of benefits, right? Relationship with God. Right? We, we sometimes talk in visual, right? Uh, back in the day, people say, you need to become a Christian so you won't go to hell. That's true. <laughs> we believe that stuff. But here's the more powerful thing. If you come to meet Jesus today, He will justify you, declare you innocent, and make you his friend. And to me, being a friend of the God who made the whole universe is way more powerful than just getting out of hell. You get to know him. And so, Christian, if you're here this morning and you struggle with who are you, the answer is simple. You are a son or a daughter of the living God, justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning, you're like, I don't know if I know him, I don't know, and you'd like to know him, here's the good news. This is not... There, there's, like, no requirement. Like, you're like, I'm not sure I'm ready. I don't know if I measure up. I haven't done this. Like, like the requirement is that Jesus, and Jesus meant the requirement at the cross. And so if you want to meet Jesus today, you can meet him by simply saying, Jesus, I want you to forgive me. And so in, in the moments as this service closes, as you think through that, I want to encourage all of you to go, who am I? And who was I made to be? Because I'm telling you right now, all of us were made to be Jesus' people. Jesus has showed the Son of the living God uh, has, has given his blood. Listen, I want you all to hear, you can be justified. It's true, the bad news was you're a sinner. The good news is Jesus has come and justification has declared you okay and a friend of God. You've been acquitted. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, my challenge is simple. Meet him. Cry out to him. We'll have a little bit of quiet time during the prayer. Reach out to the living God. If you have questions about that, come see me, the other pastor, Dave, Pastor Aaron. But meet with God in this time. And if you're a Christ follower, I want to challenge you to know who you are in Jesus. You have been justified. I would, I would guess the foolish sins we commit and a lot of the stupid stuff we do relates directly to this. We're not sure who we are, and we're looking for meaning in all the wrong places. And when you realize who you are and whose child you are and, and that you are truly the descendant of royalty, but this king of kings has with his blood rescued his people, when you realize who you are, it changes what you do. So I want to call you to that this morning. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Jesus, I just ask, you know, if anything I've said is confusing or didn't make sense, that you would clear it up through the spirit in the hearts and the minds of the people. Jesus, I want to ask this, that you would come and you would move 
in, in, in giant, huge ways. That you would convince us, us who claim to be Jesus followers, that our identity is wrapped up, our meaning is wrapped up in you, our purpose is wrapped up in you, because we have been acquitted, we are justified, we are sons and daughters of the living God, let, let us feel that. And Lord God, if there's anyone here who is not yet meant to, may they meet you now in this very moment as you, Holy Spirit, take over their heart, as you commandeer it, as you did with Paul on the road to Damascus. Will you declare yourself now the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings in the hearts of the people and make them yours so that they might know that they too have been justified and they have been acquitted so that they can start to have meaning and purpose, and be who they were made to be. You're a great God, in your name, amen. I just want to quote with this, uh, close with this, this quote. Uh, Michael Bird, I read a lot of theology. Uh, theology is just the study of God. It's, it's typically geek stuff, right? And it's usually not beautifully written, but there's this theologian, this dude who writes. And I'm like, wow, it's so rare to read this someone who's a theologian write with poetry. But I, I read this quote, and I went, wow. That's, that's beautiful. So he's speaking of justification. And he says justification is a state of affairs between God and human subject has been changed. That's justification. God has changed the state of affairs between us and him. And then he says this. What is broken is fixed. Those exiled are brought near. The condemned are acquitted. The wounded are healed. Hostility is pacified. Enmity is reconciled. The dying are given life. The impure are cleansed. And the inglorious beings are glorified. That's, that's, that's your identity right there. That's who you are. You're an inglorious being in the past, but now in Jesus you are being glorified. May you find your meaning, your purpose, and all of that in the living God. Uh, we're going to do something we do every week. Uh, actually, we're going to do two things. One, we're going to take an offering. Uh, if you're regular with us, I encourage you to give generously and powerfully in the power of the Spirit so that the world can know that Jesus is God. If you're visiting with us, you don't need to give. Right? You can be our, our guest. This is just one way we worship. And then the other thing we're going to do is we're going to take communion. Communion set up up front here. Um, it's got the, the, the juice, uh, the grape juice, which symbolizes the blood of Christ. And it's got the bread, which symbolizes the body of Christ. We talked this morning about justification and how our identity is found in Christ. But if Jesus doesn't die, if Jesus doesn't shed his blood, and, and if his body doesn't die at the cross, there's no justification for any of us. We are all still dead in our sins. There's no way to be made right with God. So the communion this morning will be a way for you to respond to the message you have heard. When you come to communion and you take the bread and you dip it into the, into the juice, you are saying, I take the body of Christ and the blood of Christ and I put it into me because it's true. He has justified me. And so you get to physically affirm the truth of what we have said, it is a, it's an act of worship, and it's an, it's an act of declaration. It is true. Jesus, with his body and his blood, has rescued me. And so we encourage you, uh, whether you literally, like, like 15 seconds ago, go, went, yeah, I want that Jesus, and you just met him, or you've known him for 50 years, we encourage all to come. Like, the communion, the body, and the blood of Christ is not shut off from anybody. Anybody can come if they'll come as the acquitted, if they'll come as the justified. So if you've, been, if you've heard from Jesus and you're like, yeah, I want that Jesus, or yeah, I know that, we encourage you to come, take the body and blood as a physical declaration that the gospel or the good news is true, that Jesus is rescued. So we're going to pray for those two things.